welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. Where to start with these new MacBooks? The keyboards. They're quieter, but are they quieter enough? Well, I don't really think that's kind of what's important. I mean, they're saying public-facing, marketing-wise, they're saying they're quieter, but it kind of just seems like a cover-up for the fact that they fixed them, but they can't say they fixed them because there's ongoing class-action lawsuits, and if they did say they'd fixed them, that would almost be admitting to the lawsuit that, yeah, yep. we were at fault, therefore we should pay you all the money that you're claiming we owe you. So, it's, yep. uh, yeah. So the sideways move is to describe them as quieter, and that gives them something to market on as well, rather than, hey, we've fixed them now. Yeah, and I mean, have they fixed them? We don't know. I guess time will tell. I, mean, I suppose we should say for anyone who hasn't heard, it's kind of like a a layer of silicon, like a silicon shield that they've applied in under the keyboard mechanism to try and keep dust and debris out. I think iFixit summed it up as kind of like a band-aid of a fix. Uh, I think we're just, it's one of those things where we're just going to have to wait and, and see if, you know, anecdotally in, in the echo chamber, I suppose, whether, it, you know, it's only going to take one blog post, isn't it? Or, or some post by someone saying, you know, 2018 MacBook keyboards still not fixed and then it could all start all over again. Yeah. But it might take some time for that to happen. So, I mean, it, it interests me because the 2017 that I work on, you know, day in, day out um, at, at Paperkite is noisy. I am noisy on it. Um, I, I type heavy anyway, um, but on that particular keyboard, I am very noisy, and it's been a bit of a bone of contention. It's not very good with with people sat next to you. Um, so I was quite keen, you know, to sort of find out, well, okay, are these substantially quieter? And I've listened to some of the comparison, sort of, you know, comparison YouTube clips and SoundCloud clips, and actually they don't sound quieter enough to me. You know, they, they still sound kind of heavy. So I don't know. I think I need to just be on an external keyboard, really. The Magic keyboards and the older ones before that, the Bluetooth keyboards, I'm, I'm not noisy on. So that's, that's probably probably the solution for me, which is a bit of a shame. Like I said, I don't feel like the, the update is, is going to be enough. I'd have to see it. Like, like you said before, it's not actually the selling point of the keyboard. It's just something they've been able to sort of latch onto and kind of point out. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they've just put some silicon in probably will make it a little bit quieter, but that's yeah. not that's not why they did it, I don't think. <laughs> you know, I don't think one of the goals was we need to make this quieter. It was like, we need to fix this damn thing um, quickly. Yeah. What bothered me, actually, was thinking about the repair program, and I think it leaked that 2016-2017 models won't get this new keyboard. So if yours went in for repair, you wouldn't get this new kind of fixed keyboard if you'd like mm. you would still get another well exactly the same one you've already got so essentially just the same flawed keyboard you had in the first place it's just that's really weird new. so so that that kind of smacks of they're either you know overstocked in old inventory or again it's another class action kind of scenario where if they would start replacing them out with the newer ones would that be an admission that the old ones were junk you know, and does that then sort of mean that they've got to start um, replacing all of them? You know, whenever anybody asks, is that the end result? Is it a repair program kind of scenario to put them on the newer keyboards if they sort of admit this fault? Hmm. Um, so who knows? It sort of feels a bit odd and um, a bit of a shame that uh, people with the older models are not going to get to try this new keyboard with the, with the repair program. 
It's been a nasty cloud, um, hasn't it, that's hung over this generation of laptop almost since the, the get-go. I, I was going to say, it's not just, um, you know, that they're noisier, more fragile, um, and are, are sort of more prone to dust ingress and that sort of thing. Um, I've had problems with the build quality of the keys themselves. So the keys on my keyboard are, have already started to sort of wear through on a couple of the keys. Um, and that, I wouldn't have expected that. I've got another machine. I've got my my own personal 2013 MacBook Pro with the older sort of style of keyboard with the black keys. Um, and that's absolutely fine. And that's seen an awful lot of use. So, so when you say the keys are wearing through, what, what exactly do you mean? Uh, so on my, um, I think it's on my letter E, um, it's the, the paint has kind of come away for the E itself. And it's got a little tiny hole in the middle. A hole? Um, yeah, very, very tiny sort of depression. Like it's going to eventually wear all the way through and crack. What? Um, yeah. And this is less, this started less than a year in. This started about maybe four or five months ago. So it would have been about seven months old at the time. Wow. That's not good. Yeah, and again, you know, I'll hold my hand up and admit I am a heavy typer, but that shouldn't matter, though. Like I say, I, no, and and it shouldn't go that quick. Um, and like I say, the older keyboards, I've you know hammered the hell out of them and had them for much longer, and that's holding up absolutely fine even now, because uh, that is the machine I use at, at home. So, so on that basis, you know, the the update and the the rubber on the inside—that's that's one thing. But I'm actually concerned about the, the build quality overall of those keys, just from the experience I've had with the 2017 model. Yeah, um, yeah. I was going to say, did you hear about the um, the alloy rumor that went around with the way the keyboards are made? No. Okay, so I forget where I heard it now. Maybe on like the talk show or something. But there was a rumor that. You know how a report got leaked that there were more 2016 models that were having keyboards failing versus 2017 models? Um, and there was a rumour that there was a in the early batches of the 2016 models, the alloy that they used within the keyboard mechanism wasn't quite up to standard. So right. that meant it was more prone to bending. And when it did bend, it would trap the dust and debris, stopping it from getting out of the, the keyboard mechanism, sort of causing the sticky keys. So kind of that was the theory behind that maybe there was more 2016 models failing um, versus 2017. So maybe that would stand to reason that if you were to get a 2017, or if your 2017 went in for keyboard service, then even though yep. you'd be getting the same keyboard again that we would look at and be like, well, you're still getting the same old flawed one. Well, maybe yeah. you, know, you wouldn't be. Um, maybe like the alloy is better. But in your case, you would hopefully have had the better alloy in the first place if yours is a 2017 model anyway. I would have hoped so, yes. Um, um, yeah, there's an interesting one. I mean, I don't know how... <laughs> yeah, it's getting a bit deep into the into the weeds, I think, when you start looking at alloys mm. and things that are rumoured to have been used in keyboard mechanisms, but yeah, could be something to it in you. You don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when this this goes eventually goes for repair. It's, it's picking the right time to get it booked in and get it sorted out. I don't don't really know what needs to happen here. We've we've not got an Apple store, so it'll be an authorized repair center. Yeah, um, shouldn't be that problematic, but I imagine it will be a case of living without the machine for a little while. So would, would, um, that, would that be that, why yours would go in just that E key, or is there other sticky keys? Uh, it, that would be the reason why. There's, there's not really sticky keys, um, but it kind of feels like there's just not sticky keys yet. Oh, they're on you the know, way. In terms of, yeah. Huh. Yeah, um, there's, it's definitely got some sort of debris trapped underneath it and stuff like that. So, 
Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, obviously, this is a it's a work machine, but it's um, it's a concern. I, I can't really be without this uh, for any length of time. This is it's. Otherwise, it's a great workhorse. Yeah, you know, and it's it's just it's let down by this keyboard. Um, I, I don't even really mind about like you know having to use a dongle with USB C and all of that sort of stuff. You know, that's that's fine. Although I do mind the build quality on the dongles, but. You know, you can get third-party cables and stuff like that. That's not too much of a problem. Um, but, yes, yeah, the keyboard is such a big deal. And, yeah, so, I mean, I'm hopeful that the new models have fixed this to some degree and that, you know, we don't sort of see this this blog post or YouTube video down the line or whatever that sort of says, oh, actually, no, they're still awful. Um, but it does kind of feel like it needs a few more months before we really kind of know. Yeah, and in a certain sense, it almost feels like this is a solution just to get them through to the next generation of MacBooks, when yes. when the keyboard will be fixed kind of by design, rather than looking at how we fix this now to get us out of this hole that we've made. There's a certain element of that, I feel, with, with it as well. Yeah, yeah, very much. And I mean, we, we keep talking about this a lot on, on this show, but I do feel like this is kind of like, well, we're heading towards some sort of ARM-based machines, you know, down the line. And this could easily be, if not the last, you know, the last but one, maybe, before we sort of start seeing that sort of stuff come in. Yeah, I, I was thinking very similar things. Um, like, for me, it's very hard not to get excited about new hardware. Like, I see new hardware and I'm like, ooh, new hardware. Um, it's just, yeah, yeah it's the way I am. But then, then kind of when the initial, like, I was like, oh, wow, there's an i9 in it and six cores and four cores and a 13-inch. And I started to think, well, are these, are these laptops kind of starting to represent the end of an era? Yeah, like something new is coming. And when it does, yeah, it's going to kind of blow all this out of the water. We think we were excited about a six-core i9, but actually just just you wait kind of thing because there could be something really quite big <laughs> coming in terms of you know, Apple's own custom silicon or, or, or whatever. I also think, keep in mind that I bought my last MacBook in 2010, that's coming up for a decade ago, and I kind of think think back to like when the iPhone ten was launched last September. I think Tim Cook said something like, "You know, we've had ten years of iPhone, and this new iPhone is going to kind of show us the way forward for the next ten years." So almost like these laptops almost seem kind of like the iPhone eight, in that they kind of represent what has always been, you know, roughly the same until now, just with like tweaks and improvements. But something new might be coming that's going to be that iPhone ten of MacBooks. It's going to show us this is the next decade. So on that basis, I kind of feel like now would be a very bad time for me to jump on the whole laptop bandwagon again. Yeah, wait until the new architecture. Because, um, yeah, I think you're right. I, I, it does kind of feel to me like this is uh, is the last days of this current era. And it would be, it's a weird time to sort of sink that, that type of money into a machine if you don't have to if you've you know if you've got a machine that is otherwise doing what you need to do then i don't know i just couldn't justify spending out right now it's different isn't it i suppose if you're a pro and literally every minute of your day equals like a a dollar bill for example you know if if you're a pro that's charging a lot of money by the hour or or whatever if if rendering a video 15 percent faster means that you can do more videos in a day or more videos in a week or more videos in a month and that equals more money in your bottom line then i can kind of see why pros at that level aren't really price sensitive whereas like yep. whereas we would be we'd look at that and be like, oh no way i'm not spending three thousand dollars on a new macbook whereas they're like well yeah three thousand dollars sure if it saves me this amount of time i'll get that back in no time 
Um, yeah, ex- exactly. And and you know, I mean, if I was, for example, contracting like I was um, just over a year ago, then uh, the machine that I've got at, for use at home at the moment, my 2013 13-inch, I probably would have replaced it if not last year, then then this year, you know. And this this will be a time for me to jump off of it and, and get a bit more speed. Um, so I don't think they're bad machines for what they are. It's just, you know, you've got the keyboard issue hanging over the top. Um, we can talk a little bit about some of the other issues that have been reported, I guess, like the um, the i9 chip throttling mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but it, but all those sort of to one side, you know, that if you do need a speed bump, then they are worth that. Absolutely. I can kind of look at the 13-inch, for example, that's now gone quad-core and sort of think, well... Yeah, actually, for from my 2013 model, that looks like a pretty good upgrade. Because I actually quite like the 13 inches in terms of the sort of weight, that, that kind of portability. Um, so, yeah, a, a quad-core version of, of that um, with more RAM and everything else, that's, yeah, going to be an improvement. It's just, yeah, with these other issues hanging over the, hanging over the head of them, then um, I think you need to weigh that up. You know, it's a case of, well, okay, you'll get the speed and it'll be a perfectly good machine. Um, however, you may experience some of these these other issues. And if that happens, you need to have a plan about the machine being in the shop. Mm. Um, I don't think it matters so much, does it, if you're kind of looking at this on like a maybe one to two year life cycle, if your plan is to upgrade yes. it like you upgrade your phone every two years. Um, whereas for me, I'm kind of looking sort of five years plus. I mean, I'm on like year eight now of my uh, my MacBook uh coming up to year four of my iMac um i still think of my iMac as new that's scary um <laughs> yeah my new iMac <laughs> sometimes refer to it as my new iMac but yeah obviously not but yeah not the time for me personally to be dumping money into this kind of thing i don't know i feel like there's something just around the corner and yep. i would kick myself if i bought in now and then june next year or sometime next year or even the year after then we start seeing sort of Apple's custom silicon making their way into laptops or or, or something. I would be like, oh, damn it. <laughs> um, yeah. But like you say, if if you're running a business, um, you know, got a popular YouTube channel, whatever, yeah, these things can make a difference. So, yeah, just buy it and then probably buy the next one and buy the next one every year or every two years, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The uh, the depreciation if you if you do that the depreciation between when you bought it and when you sell it on that's that's your rental for the year they'll hold their value still um, although I think how they hold their value with a new chip architecture coming in could be interesting um, and it, it, that's that's going to remain to be seen as well because I sort of remember what happened with the PowerBooks um, when the Intel MacBooks came in and they held their value for a little while like for the sort of first eighteen months. Um, but you know, once you're a couple of OS updates beyond into that architecture, they will lose their value over what they would have been before. Do you think um, there's a possibility so that they might become sought after for a period as well? Depending on what happens with the architecture change, yeah, that that's always a possibility. The same way as you know the the last version before um, the, the the 2015 version um, of the 15 inch. That's become a sought after model because of these problems with the the um keyboards and everything else in the newer machines. Yeah. So yeah, that there could be aspects of these machines that that make them sought after. Mm. Um I don't know. Yeah, that, again, that's um that's quite a big topic, I guess. Uh, kind of 
depends exactly on what they're going to do with the new architecture and what that means for the OS and whether there's any sort of delineation between these um, ARM-based machines and Pro machines, for example, and what you're able to do in the operating system. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the case, then they could hold their value for longer if the, if you can't do certain things on the ARM machines, for example. Um, but, yeah, we're not going to know that for a long while yet. No. One thing that did st- stand out to me was the fact that now the MacBooks get a T2 chip in the same way that yes. the iMac Pro got a T2 chip, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, kind of good to see that ideas from the, the flagship kind of filter down through the line. I thought that was quite nice. Um, I like the idea of secure boot and how the chip provides encryption, that kind of thing. Um, although what it, <laughs> my first thought actually was, could this kind of be a, a way to kill off hackintoshing? Longer term. Yeah, I mean, fast forward a few years when, let's say, every Mac in the lineup, every new Mac in the lineup has like a T chip. And yep. those, those that don't, such as the, well, such as yours, the 2017 MacBook. Let's fast yep. forward five, six, seven years when, you know, you kind of get cut off from the OS updates. Surely they can just kind of be like, if there's no T chip, then no boot. Yep. Yeah, they could do. Um, it's absolutely a thing that could come down at that point in time. Um, if we've got an architecture shift in the meantime, and that, that moves towards ARM and Apple-based, you know, designs and everything for the chips, then I think that's going to naturally kind of kill off some of the hackintoshing as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, uh, and it's entirely possible that the you know the the um, timing of that actually comes in a, a little sooner than you would see a hundred percent T2s um, across the board. I guess. So where do we go next? <laughs> Looking at my notes. <laughs> uh... Have you seen the eGPU that they've done with Blackmagic? Oh, yes. Yeah, that looked cool. Yeah, so it looks really cool. It looks like this sort of Alienware-styled, you know, um, slabo metal that just sort of like, I don't know, just breathes on the, on top of your desk. You know, <laughs> kind of really, really quite dramatic. No, I thought that was awesome. And it kind of made me think, actually, that it puts the 13-inch kind of into play a little bit. If I, if I was looking mm. at it today thinking, right, well, I need to buy something, what do I buy? I would normally just go 15-inch because um, you know, it's most power, etc., and you normally get a discrete GPU. But let's consider now the 13-inch has a quad-core up from a dual-core that I think now performs roughly the same as the 15-inch from last year um, yep. when it gets benchmarked. So that's really good for a start. The only thing it's missing is like a discrete GPU. Yeah, the, if you could kind of have your 13 inch for out and about and on the go, that's a pretty nice balance if you only want to maintain one machine because then you could just come into the office and just dock it with the external GPU, hook it up to a big monitor. Yeah, that seems like quite a nice uh, kind of modular-ish solution. I think if my iMac uh, went pop and my MacBook finally bit the dust, I'd be strongly looking at that kind of solution, I think. I, I really like the idea that to me would be be quite a good way to sort of fly, you know. Because um, like I say, I really do appreciate the sort of portability of the 13-inch. Um, and it's it's only the the graphics performance now, I think, that really lets it down. Um, but again, you would only really care about that when you're plugged into an external monitor, um, I, I think. So yeah, the, the external GPU with the 13-inch makes an awful lot of sense. Uh, my, my reservations about this eGPU that Apple have done with Blackmagic is that um, I think it's a sealed unit. Yeah, it so, is. 
Yeah, it's not it's not an enclosure, is it? It's just it's it's its own thing with the the graphics card sealed in with everything else. So, um, I mean, I, I dare say if it's a standard graphics card inside, there'll be aftermarket ways of you know popping it open and putting something else in after a while. Um, but I would have reservations about spending that much money on something that is limited to just that graphics card, um, because I guess to me the whole idea of an eGPU unit is that I can sort of keep the graphics card updated perhaps a little quicker than I'm going to replace the machine. Yeah, so um, you'd be relying on Blackmagic to keep coming out with new versions of better cards over time. So, I mean, there's other other eGPU um, enclosures where you can use your own graphics card inside, um, you know, buy whatever you want to put inside it. Um, and I think it's the, the Sonnet or something like that um, that um, seems to be quite compatible with, with Macs as well as Windows machines. Um, so I guess if I was going to go that route, that's that's kind of something I would look at instead of this Black Magic one. Um, so, yeah, I think it probably pays to think these things through. And if you just want something straight off the shelf that's going to work, it's supported, and you know looks really quite nice as well, then yeah, the Black Magic uh, one that they've got that that looks pretty good. Um, but I reckon if you're actually getting into this business because you want to sort of keep tweaking the graphics card and playing with new hardware, then get a different enclosure, you know, save some money, put that money into the graphics card instead um, and have fun sort of swapping them out. I suppose the Blackmagic uh, thing, one thing it's got going for it is that it's essentially silent, whereas a lot, of, so, yeah. a lot of other eGPU enclosures are not, um, especially yes. because if you're just sort of slapping a, a card in, those have got fans on themselves that like to make themselves heard. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think they've gone to quite a lot of effort to make make it almost kind of like Mac Pro-ish in that it, it barely makes a whisper. Um, yeah, yeah, I quite like it. And to be honest, when I saw the saw the price, what is it six nine nine in dollars? I yep. think I remember thinking like, well, that's not really that much. I mean, obviously it is. It's still seven hundred dollars, but when you put it into context of you know, what you can pay for an SSD and what you pay for an i9 upgrade and extra RAM. It's like, well, is is it really, really that much when you put it put it in, in context for everything else? Um, I don't know. Maybe I've just kind of been sort of desensitized to really expensive pricing by looking at, you know, the MacBook prices that have been coming out and the things you see. <laughs> but I didn't, I don't remember being like shocked at the price, almost thinking, well, you know, $700, and in, in even just the way GPUs are at the moment, you know, you can pay almost $1,000 or more for some of them. So, um, I mean, obviously, I guess this, isn't, so, yeah. this is, uh, probably isn't the same caliber of card. I'm not really up on all the different models of uh, AMD cards, but I get, the, I get the feeling it's kind of, you know, a, a mid-range kind of card. But then, like you say, the trade-off is uh, it's kind of all built in. It's plug-and-play. It's quiet. Yeah, don't know. Um, I, w- I would probably go for it. I, I think it's good to see um, because... One of my biggest problems with the Trashcan Mac Pro is the fact that they, they really stuffed up what they did with the graphics cards with that machine. I think that was its biggest failing um, beyond, you know, it put anything else that was wrong with it to, to one side. I think they, they messed up the, the fact that the um, dual GPUs inside of it was so specific to the hardware and then there was no upgrade sort of route with it. Um, that that's, for me, that was part of how that machine... Um, became problematic over time 
And I think, I guess, by by them doing this sort of thing, well, if they actually keep the, the um, eGPU updated each year, um, they could even consider, you know, running updates um, outside of the, the the other cycles. You know, you're not dependent on Intel producing a chipset for the laptop for these. If they want to rebadge it with a brand new, different sort of AMD GPU, and in six months' time, they could do. That's that's totally something that, that that could be done independent of anything else. So, I guess the eGPU enclosure and having something like that on the on the books, um, although obviously it's not specifically Apple. You know, it's it's in conjunction with Blackmagic, isn't it? Uh, um, yeah, I think it was like co-developed, wasn't it? Yeah, so having that in the mix, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and it does give us that sort of thing that, um, okay, you want that leap for sort of the next VR um, thing or set of development, then, yeah, they can bring something like that out and leverage the advantage that they've got now with Thunderbolt and, and USB-C and all of that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's quite good to see. Um I'd be very, very interested as well to see how it works in terms of um, multiple outputs and that sort of stuff. So I don't know, is it possible to use one of these units um, with every single uh, USB-C port on the machine, for example, if you had you know, an un- unending supply of cash to throw at this problem? <laughs> could you plug one of, the, one of these into each port on the machine and would it leverage the power of those on, on those outputs? I uh, think it might that... do. Um, mm. <clears throat> what, isn't there, isn't there like a piece of software called like Cinema 4D that's used for sort of high end rendering, sort yes. of like movie yep. special effects? I'm fairly certain that you can stack up GPUs in that. I, th- I seem to seem to remember uh, I read something about when they did it. There was like a it kind of gives you a representation of how much of the screen each GPU would sort of handle. So yep. the eGPU was like, yeah, I'll handle this big, fat part of the screen. And then the onboard GPU <laughs> was this tiny little <laughs> slither of maybe like 10 right. pixels. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll just take this tiny little bit. And then the eGPU took the rest. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, because I, I played with that that um, side of stuff a while ago with the uh, the um, VJing and video mixing sort of stuff I used to do. Um, and yeah, it's Cinema 4D. It does this sort of like, like you say, like a sort of grid rendering. Um, and then it can kind of distribute that rendering to different things. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I guess something like that could totally leverage them all, provided they're all, you know, registered in the operating system and are available to use. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I, that that would be my angle, you know, using it for that sort of stuff. Does it mean that you can then operate, you know, I don't know how many outputs does the eGPU have? Does for monitors? Digital screens? Yeah. Uh, I think it's got a uh, USB-C Thunderbolt style thing for like the LG 5K monitor. I think it's got HDMI as well. Right. Um, so at least two. Yeah, so does that then enable you to have eight outputs running off one machine that's got four um, USB-C <laughs> ports? This is the sort of stuff I still care about. I'm, I'm still, you know, despite not going to clubs and mixing video, I, I still geek out on that sort of stuff. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm also very interested to sort of see what the options are because um people in that community are, are leaving the Mac as a platform. Um and I think this sort of stuff, if it kind of means well, do you know what actually you can do some really cool stuff with this hardware, provided you've got the budget. Mm. Um it interests me to sort of see that as an option. Um and yeah, it does it comes down to well how many 
how many outputs can I address? How many different um, projectors or LED screens can I run off off this one? Yeah, you know, one lonely little thirteen-inch MacBook sat in the middle, sort of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so a cluster of GPUs. That's what we need. Yeah, I can't yep. imagine the latest then, Call of Duty like running on Steam taking advantage of it. Mind, but <laughs> I suppose specialist no. applications might. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and you know, certain flight sims or whatever, and that sort of stuff would. would oh, now we're talking. Able to take advantage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I suppose we should uh, discuss the thermal issues. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Uh, that seems to be like the hot topic right now. No pun intended. Uh, yeah. How how are like? Have you been following all the different like YouTube videos and people coming out with their different it's- takes on it? I found it really tricky to follow, and bear in mind that this has come out, um, come about over the week while I've been slightly out of it on uh, medication because I've had my wisdom tooth surgery. So I've kind of sort of seen bits of this news pop in while I was on codeine and kind of not able to take it in. And then every time I catch up, anyway, um, it sort of seems like it's changed. You know, like the initial things were saying one thing, and then I've seen a load of other info that counters it and says. Yeah, this isn't actually a problem under real world use. This is only when you use these certain programs in these these certain ways. Um, so I kind of feel like it doesn't really feel clear to me as to exactly what the uh, the sort of state of play is with it. Yeah, so I guess the TLDR version is that there's a lot of uh, speculation that the i9 variant in particular um, is throttling itself when put under heavy load, um, especially sustained heavy load. So what this all, I think the first I heard of it was YouTuber Dave Lee put out a video that I think that was the first thing that I was aware of that got a lot of traction within sort of the tech press and the community. Um, so he was using Adobe Premiere Pro to render render a video file. The results came back showing that the i7 model from last year, so I guess kind of like your generation of MacBook Pro, beat the 2018 i9 model by about four minutes. And this was with with Adobe Premiere. Yeah, exactly. So then to prove that the i9 was being throttled, and obviously that's the reason why it got beat, he then mm. put it in the freezer <laughs> and did the oh, test. Crikey. <laughs> Don't put your laptops yeah, in the freezer, this. by the way, yeah. if you're thinking about it. <laughs> but yeah, he put his laptop in the freezer and did the test again, and that reduced the render time by 12 minutes, obviously then bringing right. the i9 out on top as the faster machine. Yep. So that was kind of like, well, this is the proof it's being throttled. Um, damn you, Apple, for throttling my machine. But then I think it needs to be kind of weighed in that this is Premiere Pro that we're dealing with. It's not optimized for Mac OS. Um, and I've seen subsequent videos by different people saying, um, well, actually, Premiere is kind of known for cranking up the GPU as well. So if you've got the GPU running hot as well, that's going to make any CPU throttling that might have taken place even worse because it has to factor in for the heat generated by the GPU. Yes. So, yeah, I think I'm with you. It kind of, it does kind of feel like the the evidence isn't in yet. We're getting a lot of reaction, but I'm 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 loath to kind of sort of come down on Apple and be like, "Damn you, Apple! Why are you shipping these i9s? You shouldn't have shipped them if you knew you couldn't run them properly." Yeah. And that, that may be the verdict. You know, when people like you know Anantech come out with their you know, extensive testing and, and review, which I'm going to be super keen to read, but I, I feel like now is is not the time to be sort of casting much of a verdict. No, and I think, I guess, 
I'm quite biased here is that the use the use case that I would want for this is Swift compilation, you know, with Xcode and that side of stuff. So I guess those are the metrics I, I personally care about and that could quite easily be quite different. Um because that's that's gonna be purely um CPU, isn't it? And that's going to be more of a burst, I suppose, as opposed to a sustained thirty-minute video export. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, um, I, I think about the, the projects I, I work on. I mean, they're not exactly huge in terms of you know what it takes to compile them. But from your experience working at a, like an iOS shop, yep. How when you sort of do Command B or Command R, what's like the typical sort of time you would expect? Are you, running, are you working on bigger stuff that takes longer? Yeah, so on, on the on the bigger projects, it can take a, a clean compile um, if you include, like, you know, running all the dependencies and bringing those down and, and maybe compiling a couple of them if there's no binaries for them, which, which can happen. Um, it can be looking anywhere from a five to ten minute first build. Oh, okay. Yeah. It can chug away for quite a bit. We've got got a couple of projects that are quite big. Um, once you've done that, we've got things separated out into into different um, like different targets um, to certain certain core parts of the um, of the source are embedded into their own kind of framework and then embedded into the um, into the final target. So once that's compiled, provided you don't change those core files. Um, your view controllers and those sort of things that you're more likely to be editing, um, they're the only bits that get compiled. So we've we've optimized our builds. Um, but yeah, an initial build can take up to that long. Um, so that's not the case for every single project, and, and certainly some of the uh, some of the more average or smaller projects, they're really quick. You know, kind of regardless of what kit they're on, I guess. Um, and I would also hasten to add that these are projects that have got things like rx swift inside of them as well which i think adds some of its own sort of overhead um just in terms of how stuff gets compiled so but yeah you know so we i'd be keen to sort of see what what the speed differences are for having another couple of calls to throw in there for example yeah i mean this is pretty big isn't it when you think about it just the yeah. fact that we're getting two cores i mean when's the last time we got two extra cores on on the laptops or just yeah. in general. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. seems like years ago, quad cores came out and we haven't really seen anything much beyond that since on sort of the stuff I would be looking at buying. I mean, obviously Mac Pros, you can go crazy, but yeah, this is a big deal. Mac, Mac Pros and iMac Pros to one side. Um, the last time I think this this happened really with the, the last shift that was sort of similar to this um, was the shift with the, was it around the sort of um, Nehalem sort of time? Oh, when it went to i7 yeah and with the hyper threading that that brought brought and then you know you had the same core count but you were able to get um you know, two virtual cores per core yeah it's um, definitely a big deal i think um yeah so i mean the, the benchmarking with stuff like um premiere and even with final cut after a point um on laptops still feels a bit weird um, I know people use them for this, and this is what you know part of what they're sold to be used for, and everything as well. But um, the the stuff I've talked about before about um, the, the the video uh, performing community sort of shifting over to Windows machines, part of the reason they've done so is because uh, of rendering in things like um, After Effects and Premiere. 
um, because those those programs are better optimized for Windows builds. Um, so I guess I, I just sort of feel like, well, yeah, it, it, it's certainly a real thing, and, uh, and this is this. Like if, if the guy stuck it in the freezer and then it's quicker, well, you've demonstrated that it's been throttling. Absolutely. But I guess I'm wondering whether it's really the right tool for the job. Is is that program really something that you should be running on that that piece of kit? Or would you have been better off with a, a sort of beige box under the desk <laughs> for those sort of jobs? Yeah. Yeah, it, do, it does make me wonder. Because at the end of the day, these are devices that are very, very thin. And we're trying to get more and more power inside them. And that just seems like that's going to constantly be at odds with each other. Yeah. You know, all that heat has to go somewhere. And when there's too much heat, well, the chip has to protect itself, right? You know, that's, that's kind of just the way it is. Yeah, I, I, I would think if that really is going to be a big issue for you, maybe you do need to reconsider whether a laptop at all is, is the, like you say, the right the right tool. I think in my case, the work I do, I could probably get away with it. Because in in the way I compile code, it's like short bursts of power. Then it's just me and a text editor for a long time. Then I maybe do another short burst of power for another compile. Then I might jump into say like Affinity Designer. I can't imagine that's going to set a laptop on fire. And then maybe it's a bit more compiling again. So I think the way I work is fine. But if I needed to sort of like do hour long renders of big like 4K videos that I'm going to upload to YouTube, or if I'm doing lots of video transcoding things like that then yeah i think at that point you really do need to start looking at a different solution yeah i i understand if let's say you're a video editor that's got the imac pro in in the studio let's say and you still need something for on the go because like the nature of your work takes you around and you need something on the go but that's not the primary workhorse is it that's still kind of you're accepting that yeah this is a compromise it's a really yep. nice laptop and you know it's it's fast relative to other laptops but i understand that this is just something to get me through what i need to get through when i'm out and about and you factor it in you yeah. factor in the fact your your render time is going to be a little longer you know um i guess it's a it's just it is a bit bit rough i guess if they're comparing it against older models that were running faster or equivalent to yeah but then like you say there's been other videos that have come out since where you know They've been comparing things like Final Cut and uh, other stuff that I can't remember the name of, and the i9s come out on top every time. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't feel like I'm, I, I want to give like a verdict. Like the i9 is rubbish because it's being throttled. I think there's there's much more that needs to needs to come out yet. Um, I mean, I I can see the frustration from like Intel in the fact that by now we should have had ten nanometer. And and we don't. We're kind of on a was it tick tock tock? Are we on like the third tock now. Yeah. So yeah, we're kind I of waiting so. for the next tick, which I think would be Cannon Lake. Maybe I don't know. Um, so many lakes, Whiskey Lake. Maybe. Oh, who knows? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> who knows? I mean, there's just yeah, it's becoming hard to keep up with. But yeah, maybe ten ten nanometer would have would have helped if we had these i nine chips that were ten nanometer instead of fourteen. Kind of like Apple's almost being held almost being held hostage by Intel to a certain extent as to what they can reasonably achieve in their in their laptops in terms of performance, battery life, thermal performance, all the rest of it. Which again, you know, brings you back to the whole thing like, well of course Apple want to take their own silicon in-house and start making ARM chips for their Macs or even their own x86 chips for their Macs, whatever. I mean this has obviously been in the works for a long time I would say, the whole, you know, 
Apple doing their own silicon, but I think this is maybe one one of the first instances where you know, in this line of MacBooks where perhaps it's been highlighted in, in in a way that it's kind of crucial that they do take control in this area because you know you know if Intel can't they keep failing to deliver ten nanometer. I mean, who knows? Maybe this time next year we'll get it, but you know they should have had it by now. And and you can kind of see that that when they first came out with this generation of of MacBooks. They were probably designed for the 14 nanometer chips of the time, i.e. the ones that you've got and the ones that came in the 2016 model. Yeah. And then when it came to things like six core and you know i9s, maybe maybe the assumption was well, they'll be 10 nanometer by then. Therefore, the way we've thermally designed these machines, that will be fine. Yeah. But the fact that they're now they're still having to kind of shoehorn 14 nanometers in, uh, maybe that's causing a little bit of a bit of a problem thermally. And then in that case, they're they're literally backed into a corner um at that point you know you've 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 only got so much uh room in the device you've only got um so much sort of flow or whatever it's been designed in terms of its cooling and so the only option left to you is to actually throttle the chip or ship a firmware Um, update that cranks the fans up yeah neither of those solutions are elegant are they (laughs) no not at all um yeah so I don't know. I, I think, like I say, for me with these, with this sort of issue, um, it does. It does feel very much like it's multifaceted. That it depends on the software you're using, depends on exactly what you're trying to make it do. Um, and I think people just need to be aware of it, I guess, and kind of choose accordingly if you're choosing a new machine. Um, but yeah, for for people doing sort of hardcore you know hard out video rendering um yeah I, I would i would question whether they really want to be using um, a laptop to do that anyway um and to maybe maybe look at something else like even you know if you've got if you're on a desk most of the time then this feels like a job for something like the iMac Pro oh I yeah guess. definitely definitely um if if that's going to be like your daily workflow just like kicking out videos and editing videos and big render jobs yeah don't don't buy one of these i mean sure buy one for the road if you need to go out on the road but don't make this like your the workhorse if you see what i mean um yeah yeah um i think though for developers it's perhaps more of a, an attractive proposition because i think like you say that the power is required more in short bursts um, yeah and usually not in conjunction with the gpu as well yeah you yeah know, that's so true. cpu bound Mm. yeah so i don't know me again it it just yeah it just feels like we're in the middle of something right now and, and i'm reluctant to come out with too much of a strong opinion on it um you know it seems like it, it seems like outrage is kind of like the default response with a lot of things right now that i see on twitter so i'm, I'm reluctant yep. and just like the internet in general it's like first reaction be outraged so like, well, maybe we just chill out a little bit and wait for all the facts to take appear and then back. take make a proper judgment when the time's right and I'm not sure, as we record on Sunday the 22nd of July, I'm not sure that time is now. Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button, that will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFRpodcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? You can follow me online at DaveNot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore DaveNot.com.